Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Brown. We have a monumental game coming up, easily the most important in the Pac-12 this season. Undefeated 6-0, number 9 UCLA is traveling to Eugene to play 5-1, number 10 Oregon in a game that will almost certainly have massive implications for the Pac-12 title race. Rather than hearing from us, we thought it would be fun to talk to some of the more plugged-in people to UCLA and Oregon football and hear from them about their thoughts on both of these programs at this moment in time and, importantly, how they think the game is going to go. So we talked to Sam Conan, a UCLA beat reporter for SIL Bruins, Adam Chimeo of the Quack 12 podcast, and Reed Tingley of the Quacked Out podcast. We got like We've had three separate conversations uh, for you here to get ready for this game. And at the end, I'll summarize with my thoughts uh, on this game as a UCLA fan, but also as a Pac-12 observer. Let's start with my conversation with Sam, who you should absolutely follow on Twitter at Sam Conn. Sam covers UCLA football for SIL Bruins. He has all kinds of great insight and inside scoops and has a really close pulse on the team. I asked for Sam's thoughts about UCLA season. My first question to Sam was, what were the vibes around this UCLA team and what's different than last year when UCLA finished with an underwhelming eight and four record? Uh, I would say the vibes are definitely good. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for them not to be when you're six and zero and you're playing on college game day again. Uh, I wouldn't say it's drastically different from last year uh, because I mean, they played They hosted college game day this same weekend last year with Oregon coming to the Rose bowl. ESPN came to, came to Westwood's all the hoopla around that. Uh, I think they, they only had one loss in Pac-12 play at that point. So they were in the right in the race and that knocked them out. And, you know, vibes weren't as great from that point on. But in terms of September through October, there were a few more bumps in the road last year. But generally, there was still some hype. There was a lot of confidence, a lot of maybe not as many eyeballs, but there were eyeballs on this team at points last year. The difference this year is just the consistency, the the steady progressive build of it that has kind of turned it into a nice narrative as each week they get better, each week they play a better opponent, each game gets bigger than the last. And that's been something really fun to, to cover. And it's also been nice to see someone like DTR, Jordan Thompson Robinson, kind of come out of his shell a little bit. He's never been a shy guy, but it's nice to see a star player recognize that and and have his personality grow with the stage and and be open and honest about that and not kind of give your cliche normal answers he's one of the guys you can tell is is really embracing the moment and maybe that's something that wasn't there last year but it it definitely is now sam alluded to some struggles that dtr experienced earlier on in his career and it's kind of alluding to this idea that dtr is just a much better player and is carrying himself differently he is a much better player. He's uh, dramatically better than he was in 2019. Anyone watching UCLA with any sort of critical eye would tell you DTR is a much better player than he was uh, earlier on. I asked Sam what's uh, what's different with DTR and how he's carrying himself, what he feels is different this year than he had in years past. Um, I mean, he's always been a guy who has had his ups and downs on the field. Uh, going going back to 2018, gets thrown in as a freshman. Not too many great games that year. 2019 had some rough ones like that performance at Utah, but then also had the comeback at Washington State. So he had those highs and lows, and he had a personality to his game a little bit. But now this year, I mean, you see him talking trash <laughs> after plays. You see him hurtling guys more successfully and more often. The the jukes, the, the flash for first downs, pointing pointing at other guys and refs and, and uh, going off the field, yelling at the crowd and, and all that's really fun. And I think he enjoys it. I think winning and performing as the Pac 12's most productive quarterback has allowed him to kind of unleash and not hold back. Whereas in the past it'd be, well, he had a good game, but you can't get too excited about it because you might think that it would the week after. And then you look, you look dumb for, for saying what you said the week before. Now he's, confident in himself and it's built and built and built and he's just kind of letting it out and just showing off what he's got which has been really fun to watch is he the, do you think he's been the most impressive uh, thing about ucla to this point is it something else like what would you say is the most impressive thing about this ucla team honestly the whole offense has been the most impressive and, and the quarterback when he's playing as, as well as he is 
gets credit for that, and rightfully so. But, I mean, he's a top five Heisman candidate when it comes to betting odds right now. It's hard to overlook that. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, though, is also putting up a lot of yards. He's getting in the end zone. He's productive, pretty much on pace with what he was doing last year. Uh, and that's that's something that's also really impressive. He's looking like a first-team All-Pac-12 running back. So it's crazy when you have a first-team All-Pac-12 running back who's playing out of his mind, and he's not the most impressive thing about the offense. It just goes to show how impressive DTR has been. Uh, but the, you also have Jake Bobo who's playing great. The O-line has stepped up since those, I don't know, communication errors not great in the first couple weeks now. They've shown they can really protect D- DTR and open up holes for Charbonnet. So a lot is going right. The the play calling is looking much better. Uh, the, just the overall efficiency, the chunk plays, the the yards per play, the points per drive. Everything about that offense is just humming right now, and it's fun to watch. DTRs and Charbonnet are the main pieces of the engine, but as a whole, that's just really moving. It's good to see. Sam and I talked a lot about the UCLA offense. UCLA's offense is elite. It's top five in the country in most metrics. But the most surprising thing about this UCLA team is their defensive performance. They are a top 50 defense by most metrics, or a top 25 defense by some metrics, which would be quite a shocker considering UCLA has been dead last in the Pac-12 in many defensive metrics. I asked Sam what he thinks is different about this UCLA defense and why they're playing so well. The the past few years, especially early in the, the Chip Kelly era, it was always, you know, the offense is pretty good and the defense is literally the worst ever. And then it got to the point where, okay, the offense is good, but you have one of the worst defenses ever. So you just have to make your atrocious defense into a mediocre one and your offense will be able to lift you to a lot of success. And that's kind of what we've seen this year. I mean, they're they're above average. I, I wouldn't go anywhere saying they're great or amazing, but they're not bad. And that's the thing. We talked for the past couple of years. What if a Chip Kelly efficient offense played with a mediocre, average, slightly above average defense. And the answer is you start 6-0. and So Bill McGovern's been doing a good job introducing some different formations. This doesn't look like a world-beater defense. Uh, there's, there's nothing crazy going on. You just have talent with the Murphy twins at Latu, getting a lot more pressure than UCLA's been able to get without bringing extra blitzers these past few years. Uh, Mo Wassling's been a really good tackler and finisher over the middle. Darius Muasau. He's been all right. He's missed a few tackles. Tackling is an issue with some of those linebackers, but between him and John John Vons, now Cam Medrano coming back from injury, that's pretty promising. That's a good group. They've been able to settle into this new, slightly more NFL-style defense pretty well. So, yeah, they're not an amazing defense, but when you take one of the best offenses in the country and give them a B-minus defense instead of a D then you're going to win games. So <laughs> you, you can't complain about that, really. There there might be issues to fix here and there. And when you run into a USC or Oregon at Oregon, maybe those worths show a little more. But from what we've seen so far, it's, it's been it's been pretty good. Where would you I'm, I'm going to give you some trivia. I don't I don't mean to like stump you, but I am curious, like uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you some trivia. What do you think? UCLA's defense ranks and I'll just go with like a basic stat like total yards per I, I have it in front of me I'm just curious to see what you would think like in, in terms of total offense uh given up so like total defense you know how many yards they've given up per game where do you think they rank in the Pac-12 would you say hmm uh, maybe like fourth fourth is a, a pretty good guess they're actually first uh be oh my gosh that, yeah uh, <laughs> I, I they, knew they were up there a few weeks ago but now i'm thinking well washington and utah kind of racked up yards late i don't know but yeah wow that's that's impressive <laughs> yeah they're also number one in opponent uh yard, total yards per play um in the pac-12 so a very uh very very surprising ucla defense clearly the defenses are very down in the pac-12 i think we probably all agree with that Uh, well, going to Austin's always tough. Uh, I forget what their home winning streak is there. 
Um, or at least you take out the COVID year. I'm not sure if they lost during the COVID year there or not, but uh, that's one of the toughest environments in college football, period, let alone in the, in the Pac-12. Uh, so that, that'll that definitely be tough. When it comes to the actual matchup itself, uh, I, I mean, I, I know you're on top of this. A lot of people are right now looking at Oregon's resume this year, their strength of schedule. They played Georgia in the opener and lost 49-3, to three, I think it was, and, and that was... That was ugly, and they got dinged for that in the polls, but they've won every game since, so they must be back on track. But you look, and uh, they haven't beat a single team with one or two losses or or any undefeated team, obviously. Uh, so they're kind of just, I mean, they beat an FCS team, uh, and they beat BYU, which was ranked at the time, but now is four and three, not really looking like Zach Wilson's BYU or anything. Uh, and the teams they've played so far in Pac-12 play have been kind of mediocre. So it's it's hard to really get a read on how good they are versus what their strength of schedule was. Uh, Bo Nix is having a really good year. I, I think it's it's a little weird to look at his stats. I think he has eight rushing touchdowns. He, he's been really good on the ground. Um, he's an SEC guy who's played in a lot of big games. So I don't think he'll crumble in, in, in the bigger moments. Obviously, it wasn't good week one against Georgia, but that was Georgia, maybe <laughs> one of the best defenses we've seen in a decade. That's an NFL defense right there. So when it comes to his performance, I, I can excuse that a little bit. He And he's been amazing since. So once again, how much of that can be attributed to the competition? How much of it is he's really turned it around and he's a great quarterback and it's going to be a great QB duel between him and DTR? I, I, I don't really know. It's kind of tough to gauge, but um, he's definitely someone you have to take seriously uh, through the air and on the ground. The Oregon defense has always given this UCLA team fits. Uh, they don't have Kayvon Thibodeau anymore, obviously. Last year, he is the single lone reason that Oregon won that game. I think he had like two and a half sacks, and he injured DTR in that last drive. Just completely put Alec Anderson through a spin cycle from start to finish in that game. That was rough. Uh, but I, they don't have Thibodeau anymore. They still have Sewell. Uh, they still have Flo. They're a really good defense. Um, I... I I'm not totally sure how much I trust Dan Lanning. Uh, but then again, how much do we trust Cristobal? And Cristobal still beat these this UCLA team last year. So it's there's a lot of factors. There are a lot of question marks. Um, I think UCLA is rightfully ahead of them in the AP poll. Um, but you look at some uh, something like the FPI and Oregon's ahead of them. So um, it, it's... It's really tough. If this game was at UCLA, I'd feel better about their chances. But if you add in the the environment and the road fans and, and all that kind of stuff, that kind of takes the matchup to a different realm where, I mean, it, it's tough to only look at it on paper when, when you add something like that into the equation. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, let's get off paper here and talk narratives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we love an agenda uh, on. Oh, on of this course. Podcast. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, like in your time covering the team, is this mm-hmm. is this the, is this the biggest game, the most important game, a bellwether game for like Chip Kelly and UCLA? Like, does it is is that your perception of it, having covered the team this long? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, you look season by season. In 2018, they started 0 and 5, and none of those games were really massive. I mean, it was cool to see them go to Oklahoma and. Cincinnati was a, it was a pretty decent opponent for an opener, but like there's nothing real in that year. 19. I mean, the Washington state game was great, but they were zero and three. And so like, it's, they didn't go in knowing it was going to be a big game. And, and none of the USC games have really had too many stakes. Uh, either UCLA or USC has been bad in, in these past few seasons. Uh, I think last year's LSU game, last year's Oregon game were big, uh, and LSU games ranked at home, got UCLA into the rankings for the first time under chip, the Oregon game last year, hosting game day. Um, but when you look at the stakes of this game, they're infinitely higher than anything else from that, that has happened with this team the last four and a half seasons. I mean, I, the, the games I just brought up is the, the next biggest games, the LSU game got UCLA into the top 25. They are past that. Now they've been in for two, three weeks and now they're going for something much higher. They're they're not even just trying to remain in the Pac-12 race like they were the Utah game in 19 when they got slacked. Like the, these are real stakes. This is number one seat in the Pac-12 stakes. It's Rose Bowl stakes, college football playoff stakes. 
all of that sounds a little far-fetched. If you're a UCLA fan and you've watched this team for the last 25 years do absolutely none of those things. But the thing is, if they win, that just boosts their chances even more. Right now, they're in the driver's seat. They're in the driver's seat in the Pac-12. They're in the driver's seat when it comes to their own national destiny. If this UCLA team wins out, they're going to the college football playoff. And, and that's massive for the program. Uh, if they are one last team, maybe they go to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, massive for the program. So every game from this point out is going to be huge. And it starts with a road game. Chip Kelly's homecoming. I know he's been there. I guess this will be the third time, however many it is. Um, but there's just so much going on heading into this game. Uh, I, I don't think UCLA has won in Eugene since like 2002 or something. Chip Kelly hasn't beat Oregon. Uh, DTR hasn't beat Oregon. They have, uh, they, there's just so much going on. And then you add in looking ahead and you say, well, if they win this game, can they win the Pac-12? Can they go to the college football playoff? All these things just add up to make this easily the biggest game of the Chip Kelly era. Sam provided so much great insight during our conversation. I decided to wrap this up by asking, of course, how he thinks this game is going to go and who he thinks is going to come out the winner. I'm worried about this this road environment. They've only played one road game at Colorado where Colorado was booing their team in the first quarter before they fired Carl Durrell and everything. That, that team is a mess. I know they got a win this week against an equally messy Cal team. Um but that wasn't really a road environment. This is one of the purest road environments you can get uh, against a really good offense and a defense that statistically may not be amazing, but has a lot of talent. So I guess we've we saw there was a lot of talent on Washington's defense and then they tore the secondary part. Uh, there, there's a lot of defense on uh, a lot of talent on Utah's defense and they ran all over Manthrow all over him. So maybe they can do the same with this Oregon team, uh, but the noise, the stakes, I'm not saying they're going to crumble, but right now I'd have to side with Oregon just because they're they are playing great right now. I know it's been against no ones and all these kind of punching bag teams and mediocre teams, but I don't know. I, I I have a hard time thinking that UCLA can run this gauntlet and beat Washington, Utah, and Oregon three games in a row. Just it seems like it's such an anomaly to me that I don't know. If I can pick it, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. They're higher ranked. I get it. Uh, I, I don't know if I can pick it right now, though. So that was my conversation with Sam Conan. You can follow Sam again at Sam Conan. That's S-A-M-C-O-N-N-O-N. One of my favorite uh, UCLA follows. A lot of really great uh, insight and always love seeing the practice videos and all of his reports and all of the great insight that he and his uh, his team have there. Next up is my conversation with Adam Chimeo, the host of the Quack 12 podcast at Quack 12 podcast, an irreverent Oregon Ducks podcast. I'd probably put it uh, in the same category as ours. Doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's a blast. I wanted to ask Adam, from the perspective of someone who watches his team as a fan who has been really uh, invested in this team emotionally, what has he thought about Oregon season at a high level? What are his impressions so far in year one of the Dan Lanning era? You are, and every single fan has like the ugliest kind of fan or like just the highest expectation fan. You know, each fan base has a little bit of that too. Um, if you were not one of those, if you were not someone who's like, if we don't go 12 and 0, we need to fire Dan Lanning right now. If you're a reasonable person, then I imagine. You're pretty happy with what's going on. And overall, actually, you're probably pretty happy because any reasonable person knew that week one going against your old boss, your old mentor, uh, who knows like all your tricks that you may you didn't even have time to install. But if you had time to install, he knows exactly what you're going to do. He had a fully just functioning Death Star week one ready to go. And, um, any, any like week one kind of coach situation, like you can just throw that out. And so, and as, as a duck fan, I'm more than willing to throw a 49 to three embarrassing dismantling like that in Atlanta, uh, in that quote unquote road game, you know, or a neutral <laughs> site game. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so I, I'm willing to completely get rid of that one. I was actually going to be a little afraid, uh, BYU, because you know you're a Pac-12 fan too. You know that like they got our numbers for a while. I'm glad we got that monkey off our back. Even Eastern, like I'm the kind of duck fan that is way is ready to freak out more than like praise the team. I'm I'm like I was I was like Eastern Washington. You know, it was a pretty close one when Vernon Adams was on our side. Uh, so uh, all these histories were popping up. Wazoo is always scary as hell. And that actually lived up to expectation. Um, I did not think we were winning that one because I've seen us lose that game to Wazoo like cursed. <laughs> yeah, or- Oregon and Wazoo was cursed. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we knew that. That was going to be a weird game. <laughs> that was a, that was a really weird one. And um, And then like Stanford and Arizona, both of those are, again, like cursed schools that I think of. It was nice that I mean, it wasn't like we weren't sloppy because we got like 12 penalties. I want to maybe it was 14. I can't quite remember. I want to say 12 against Stanford, um, Arizona. I mean, that was that was our best game so far, but it was Arizona. So as far as like year one coach goes, I'm feeling very good. Uh, This this season could take a true like kind of dip and we are no longer Pac-12 title contenders. And even if we ended with like you know, three losses, even, even four losses. I wouldn't be calling for landing to be fired, but, uh, I'd be less, less hyped. I don't know. I don't know. It's fun that the, the, you know, the ceiling is, can be really, really high. I mean, I honestly think this, that like, if you are a PAC 12 school until you get that second loss after the PAC 12 title game, technically, I think you still got a real good shot at making the playoffs, maybe technically, you know. Um, so, not that I'm saying Oregon is. <laughs> I don't want to play Georgia again. Let that be clear. <laughs> I don't want. I would much rather have a competitive. I forget if the Rose Bowl is part of the playoffs this year, but I'd rather have a competitive bowl game than uh, face them again. I had to ask Adam about Oregon's defense because while the Ducks' offense has been elite. Their defense has been disappointing under Dan Lanning, who was literally the defensive coordinator for the defending national champions, Georgia, last season. Oregon is 58th in the country in beta rank, 44th in SP+, 98th in defensive points per drive, and 109th in defensive points added. So I asked Adam what the deal is here with Oregon's defense. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't really hoping. I mean, I mean, I was hoping for a quicker defensive turnaround. And uh, I mean, a lot of people were kind of sleeping on Oregon's offense potential purely because of the meme of Bo Nix. <laughs> you know, <but> he's really. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he, he ain't bad. If you put him in not in front of or uh, behind that Auburn offensive line and you have him not go against the SEC so far, he showed up really well, especially since we've had like one, you know, like one sack this season so far. So the O-line's really helped him helping them out like you could probably plug in a lot of really good the top tier Pac-12 quarterbacks and we'd still be doing pretty good right now so I'm glad that Bonix hasn't like been a huge joke like the, how some people were saying but uh the defense see this is me just stalling on the offense you don't have to get defense uh but yeah the defense hasn't because a lot of times in year one if you got a talented group you actually can get that defense to rise up the ranks especially if they started pretty bad like we did last season um obviously going against a great team like georgia hasn't helped us but that is that isn't a good enough excuse to write off like how many points wazoo was able to score on us um stanford scored 27 this should be zero it should be zero for every single team no i'm joking but uh you know there was there was moments even in stanford or arizona um that there was just like, well, if it wasn't for that huge 45-yard run that we allowed because of a mental error uh, against Arizona, like that that was another score we could have taken off. Then there was another like 40-yard run we allowed. And those truly were, if you look at the tape, they weren't matters of them blowing through our guy. Like since that Georgia game, actually, our missed tackles are kind of out the window. We're doing a lot better at cleaning up, but... It is just mental awareness. I mean, like Flo, like Flo is like a great athlete. He's insane. He's fantastic. But he was out of position because he hadn't gotten all those reps in last season because he was injured for so long. This season, you know, he's like 
ready to go. He's like a giant cannon that has not been like proved by the Navy. And it's like this thing can blow through a wall, but the aim's pretty bad. Like, uh, and then I think, and so it's really like, hey, I think this defense could, I mean, a, hom- a homer again, but I think this defense could improve to something where it's like good for the Pac-12 this season. Um, it's just all relying on individual talented players, a lot of them highly rated, uh, actually kind of getting the system a little bit down. And then I, I truly think like if you're going to like circle big weak links, it probably got to be some of our DBs are new. I mean, Christian Gonzalez, we stole him from Colorado and he was like uh, maybe uh, he was as big a pickup for us for Bonex because without Christian Gonzalez, Ooh, we'd be allowing like an extra 14 points. It feels like, cause we're, we're pretty thin after losing a lot of really good players in the, in the secondary. So I, I think it's just going to be like, we are built to be, Hey, pac 12. Like we, we can get got our defense is vulnerable. If you can keep up with our offense and, but our offense is making less mistakes. So it's nice. Of course you have to contextualize some of the defensive stats here for Oregon and some of this conversation. And I did that in my conversation with Adam Noting that the Pac-12 is down defensively across the board. Best defense by most metrics is actually Washington State. Uh, Not a great defense at all. So to Oregon's credit, the defenses across the league are not good. But I did have to talk about the offense because the offense is actually pretty fucking incredible uh, by most metrics. They are top. uh, They're number 11 in offensive EPA. They're number 10 in beta rank. They're top 10 in SP+. Oregon's offense is awesome, and I suspect no small part due to Bo Nix's resurgence as a good quarterback. I had to ask Adam if he thought Bo Nix was a big part of this and what other stuff was contributing to Oregon's offensive resurgence here in 2022. Uh, I like a good chunk, definitely a good chunk because he's got like, like he's clear if he's making an incompletion, if he's throwing an incompletion, it's because he's getting rid of the ball. Like as of right now, anyways, he's doing really well. The picks he has thrown. I mean, you can easily circle the, the two against Georgia was like, well, we had this thin I'm listeners. I'm holding my fingers really close. Uh, this thin of a margin to beat in Georgia. Once once that second pick clear made it like there's no possibility of this even being close, apparently. Um, against Wazoo, he threw that devastating pick six. And like the reason why that game wasn't close wasn't because of Bo. He was doing well. You know, he was getting us in the red zone even. Uh, one of the reasons was because of that pick six, but then he played a, a pretty stellar game, real smart. One, uh, I'm going to sound like a bitter breakup or yeah, but someone who just got out of a relationship. But I think one of the reasons why our offense is doing a lot better too is because Mario Cristobal is on the other coast. <laughs> because if Bonix was on this team last year, which had some really great talent, still had some great talent, a lot of the same offensive you know, players, uh, same offensive line and stuff like that. They would just, I mean, we had Travis die USC's great Travis die. Um, but I think if Bo Nix was plugged in last year, all those memes of just making fun of Bo Nix and how like actually like, you know, chaotic and bad he would, I think those would be flooding back. I think he would look pretty terrible in Cristobal's system. Um, cause like it's clear Kenny Dillingham is letting him take the top off. He's letting him do the deep ball, like, you know, to a detriment sometimes. Like, him throwing that deep bomb to seven against Georgia was a was kind of a bad idea, and that second interception was even worse. So it's bad that he was that let loose. But it's, it's clear that little extra component of, like, go for Franklin deep or, like, you, you know, like, like, keep your eyes down the field. We don't have to just get three yards rushing every single time we don't have to keep everything so close to the line every damn play so i i think it's a combination of cristobal out uh bonix in and then also like players like troy franklin and then holy sudden like holy shit suddenly bucky irving and oh yeah and then there's like three more bucky irvings behind him it's weird it's fun i do miss die though it was time in this conversation to turn to the actual matchup oregon ucla i asked Adam, if there was anything that he was terrified about this UCLA team, something that this UCLA team did well, that he was really, really scared, uh, would burn Oregon. Here's what he had to say. 
that back in the day, there were times where it was like, oh, this UCLA team, they are athletic. You know, they got so they got playmakers on both sides of the field. DTR is an athletic, talented quarterback that and this was my, our joke for years, you know, every once in every fifth play, basically what they would say about Bo Nix, like he's going to do something weird. He's going to fumble. He's just going to place the ball on the ground and give it to the other team, literally, or something like that. And I think it's foolish. I mean, even last year and this year, it's clear he stepped up like I mean, this is six year, right? Like this dude is good. And if he's going to if if UCLA beats Oregon, um, it's going to be because you've got the person who's not very good at talking to people or whatever. Chip Kelly, you know, you got that cranky mastermind back there that we all know and love. Um, if you get I mean him with a fully functioning like not just fully functioning a really good Mariota I'll say light because I'm a duck fan player out there and you got Chip Kelly and you got like you know got Charbonnet got Bobo you got others besides Bobo like you got some real threats like I think Oregon's actually pretty good at containing athletic court like I would guess but we haven't seen DTR Cam Ward is no DTR or anything like that. He's not like nowhere close or anything like that. Um, Jaden Delora is not, you know, like if you're all going to win is because DTR is just going to come out there and just have himself an amazing game and we'll make enough mistakes that who knows, like UCLA could really start. That's what it's been so far too, right? Is like the other teams uh, in Pac-12 play has made enough mistakes DTR has found just the perfect moments to add two quick stores or whatever. Um, and so that's definitely what I'm afraid of. It's, it's just, it has to be DTR. I'm definitely more interested or more fearful of the passing game, like I said, because of the secondary, but only because I have a feeling it's going to be set up with the run game so well. I don't imagine UCLA tearing through Oregon, even late, because UCLA has done that really well, actually, too, because they just look the more physical team late in the game. I don't think that'll happen against Oregon. I think they're going to have hard rushing yards that aren't DTR for a lot of it. Uh, so, you know, Charbonnet will still have his like highlights or whatever, but I don't think he'll have as dominant as a game as he's had. Um, but if they're able to get enough out of that, where then suddenly our DBs are getting confused or sleeping a little bit, then I can totally imagine deep passes, uh, like really like, oh, wow, Oregon's up 14 to zero. This is great. Oh, they just did an 80 yard completion. This is a game again. Like I kind of imagine a whole lot of that. Um, I don't know. I would, I would. Yeah, I, I am afraid. Uh, this is, I'm now more afraid of this game than Utah. We reached the predictions part of this conversation. I asked Adam what kind of game he thought this was going to be and ultimately who he thought was going to win. I think in the second half, the Ducks will actually be able to pull away. I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything, but I do think the Ducks have the advantage with this one. But I, I think they have the advantage on both lines, and I think they have... Um, just a more function, uh, an offense that has more weapons and a huge home field advantage, obviously. Like, I, I, I believe it's going to be pretty crazy at Autzen. So, due to that, um, I'll say Oregon 42, UCLA 28. So, there's still going to be a whole lot of points scored. But that's that's my guess. Usually when I give a score prediction, we lose too. So congratulations on the one. So that was my conversation with Adam Chimeo of the Quack 12 podcast. You can follow Adam at Adam underscore Chimeo. I don't even follow Adam at that account. I'm not sure if he wanted me to ever share that. Uh, or at Quack 12 podcast. They have a lot of really great, fun conversations around Oregon football and the Pac-12 generally. So check that out. Now we want to move to our conversation with Reed Tingley of the Quacked Out podcast. I'm going to be straight with you. Me and Reed are homies. Uh, and so I had to needle him quite a bit. You'll hear me asking some really sarcastic questions to Reed. I sound like I don't really have any respect for him, but I actually do have a tiny bit of respect for him. Uh, I loved my conversation with Reed, so here it is. I'll leave it for you all unedited. 
Uh, my first question here is uh, UCLA's offense is analytically one of the five to 10 best offenses in the country. Uh, while Oregon's run defense and their, their defense and their run defense in particular is analytically somewhere in the bottom third. Uh, and UCLA's running game is particularly pom- uh, potent, I think. Uh, my question to you is, will UCLA gain 200 or 300 rushing yards on Saturday? This is a binary question, by the way. So you have to pick 200 <laughs> or 300. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go with 200 um, between those two. It's interesting, though. Okay, but, uh, yeah. Sh- Sh- Tell us your thoughts on, on that actual matchup. Yeah, Charbonnet ran for, I think, nine yards per carry against Utah. Um, and obviously Oregon fans, you know, are intimately like connected to the Chip Kelly offense. We have a good understanding of that. And it starts with establishing the run. I think you're spot on and pinpointing that as a key to this matchup. Um, so that's what I'm looking at, you know, is I, I less about the total, you know, that's where analytics are going now and more about yards per carry. Um, Mm -hmm. and seeing how Oregon can fare in that regard, nine yards per carry, it's tough to beat anyone if they're, if their top back is doing that. Um, I think Oregon's front seven is better than Utah's, uh, because they're having a down year right now, but I mean, people have made a lot about this matchup and that Oregon hasn't played a very good team yet outside of the best team in the country or, you know, one of the top few teams in the country. Uh, and trying to figure out like what uh, kind of common data point or similar data point would be to this UCLA matchup. And Oregon kind of has games on these two halves right now and nothing in the middle of like a pretty good team, but not a national title favorite. Um, and so that's the question, I think. Uh, Oregon did a pretty good job containing the run against BYU. Um I think there's a chance that they can replicate that against UCLA, but I'm not completely confident either because Charbonnet is probably the best back in the league right now. Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious to see how they how UCLA's offensive line hand, holds up against uh, Oregon's front. It does. Where do you feel like Oregon's front seven? Their defensive. Let's let's start with their defensive line in particular, just to get more specific. Where would you put them in the Pac-12? I mean, there are not great defenses. There aren't great defensive fronts in the Pac-12, but. Like right now, where would you put Oregon's front uh, front line? Yeah, so I would say the defensive line is easily, I think, the deepest in the Pac-12 uh, okay. in terms of having the number of bodies necessary to like withstand a Pac-12 schedule or a Power 5 level schedule. Uh, Oregon lost its starting nose tackle going into the year, but they had a transfer from Nebraska who came with their defensive line coach who stepped into that role and has made that not a major problem. Uh, Popo Amavai is the guy who's out. Jordan Riley stepped in to replace him. Um, Brandon Dorless is one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. Uh, I think Oregon fans are optimistic about some of the other guys they have there, but there's not another guy who's really stepped into an impact role. Um, yet guys like DJ Johnson, who's fluctuated between tight end and defensive end, throughout his time, but was a top 100 recruit out of high school uh, and transferred to Oregon from Miami, has the talent to do it, but hasn't stepped into that kind of impact role yet. Um, And then the other half of this is, of course, the linebacking core, which for Oregon, those inside linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, were touted as maybe the best linebacking duo in the country going into the season. Uh, Both were five stars out of high school, so that's kind of where the hype came from, uh, but both have been injury plagued through the first six games, um, banged up. Justin Flo missed some games, and I think there's optimism for Oregon fans uh, in an ideal world that both of those two come out the closest to 100% we've seen them uh, after the bye week for this UCLA game and kind of feed off that home crowd and deliver on the expectations that a lot of Oregon fans had of them going into this year. What do you trust? So they, they've obviously got a lot of talent. They got Oregon has talent everywhere, but where do you trust them more between, you know, against the run versus, uh, you know, in, in pass like in in pass rush? Like, do you do you trust them better to to stuff UCLA, or do you trust them more to to try to get pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson? Yeah, I absolutely trust them more against the run. Uh, the pass rush has been a real issue this season. 
Um, a guy like Dorless, you know, he's a defensive end, but he's not a pass rushing defensive end like Kayvon Thibodeau was. Uh, he's a guy who's kind of traded off between interior and defensive end and, you know, has had success. But Oregon is missing out on that signature pass rusher right now that they lost last season in Thibodeau. Uh, and they've really the only times that we've seen Oregon generate a pass rush are the last two weeks against Stanford and Arizona. And those are two of the worst pass blocking teams in the Pac-12 by far. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how confident you would feel about, you know, the flip side of that question, which is UCLA's offensive line and run blocking versus pass blocking. Um, But I certainly would say for Oregon, you feel more confident defending the run. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I would I would say from the UCLA side, uh, I, I have no clue. My offense, the, the, my my perception of the offensive line for UCLA through the first three games is it was horrible at everything. Uh, since then, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to argue with what they did against a Washington pass rush. That I think is the shine has been taken off it a little bit, but but also against Utah's uh, you know pass rush, which again also the shine has been taken off that as they are clearly in a down year right now in terms of the defensive line, which is very, very rare to see. Um, but they, uh, they were sending six, seven guys and couldn't really quite get to Dorian Thompson Robinson. So uh, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting matchup. This will be, I, I guess this will be UCLA's best test. So uh, in terms of a defensive line, so it will be, that'll be interesting. Um, de- but passing game wise, uh, the pass defense, I, I think I'm pretty sure Oregon's, uh, defensive backs are maybe. Would you agree that they're the weakest link on this uh, on this defensive this entire defensive team? Yes, definitely. With with the caveat that Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback one, is one of probably the top three corners in the league, um, in my estimation, and you know a guy who's garnering first or second day NFL draft buzz. Uh, he transferred from Colorado along with Oregon's cornerback coach. Um, he's a really good cornerback one, but the rest of the secondary is not good. And I think that poses a really interesting question for this game specifically, because my impression of UCLA at least is that they kind of have one go-to receiver um, and not maybe a lot of other guys who can pose problems individually. Uh, but schematically, of course, Chip Kelly has a way of getting guys open. And, you know, anyone on UCLA's roster is capable of catching a pass if no one's within five or 10 yards of them. Um, but OK, so that's the Oregon defense. The I want to switch to the Oregon offense. Bo Nix has had a pretty remarkable season, all things considered. But many are saying that he's mostly been successful against some of the worst pass defenses in the league. Meanwhile, UCLA's pass rush seems to be very, very effective. So I'm curious, uh, under all that pressure, how many picks is Bo Nix throwing and why Why would you say it's more than two? I am impressed that you restrained yourself from offering another binary decision. Um, but you still got your dig in there. Uh, I respect that. <laughs> um, it, it's fair, right? I mean... Bo Nix, the story has been when he's been under pressure and when he's been on the road uh, in the SEC that he threw interceptions. And we obviously saw him throw a bad one versus Georgia and another not very good one uh, and a really bad one versus Wazoo. Uh, Although there's, you know, a lot of credit goes to the linebacking, the linebacker for making a really good play there. But otherwise, he's avoided turnovers and he's done it in large part because. Oregon's pass blocking has been excellent um, among the best in the country. So this is a different challenge, obviously. UCLA probably outside of Georgia is the best pass rush that Oregon's faced. Um, Washington State might have a word, but I I would probably think UCLA's is better right now. Um, But I think I trust, I don't know if trust would be the right word about Bo Nix, but I think I'm starting to trust that he can avoid mistakes given the protection protection he's getting. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, throw a lot mm-hmm. of money on the fact that he won't throw two interceptions, but I'm starting to feel like it's more likely than not that he'll get out of there with one or less uh, because he's just been put in good situations. Uh, and 
the offense for Oregon has been called really well so far uh, outside of some issues in the red zone. They've moved the ball extremely well between the 20s um, and have gotten a lot of different weapons involved offensively. Uh, and the offensive line has been kind of the spoon that stirred the drink for the Ducks offense as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm joking about, uh, I, I joke, but Bo Nix has, has had a pretty good season, all things considered, right? I think people were talking about Bo Nix as a player that might, I don't know, lose Oregon multiple games. And at this point, it's starting to feel like he's just having a pretty solid season. It's not great. I mean, it's not like elite, but it's like pretty good. Uh, and it seems to me that that's what Oregon, that's all Oregon needs. And I think that's almost any, that's all any good Pac-12 team would need is just to have a pretty good quarterback. And he's not made many mistakes. Uh, he's mostly played within himself, but also has been willing to take some of the risks and th- throw downfield. Uh, I don't know. I- I'm curious what you think. Cause my, my perception of, of that, and this is, this always pisses off some of my co-hosts because they don't, um, they don't, they don't respect uh, some of that coaching staff. And that's, that's because they're before this season, there was little reason to do, th- to do so. Um, but my sense is that Kenny Dillingham has done a pretty remarkable job of putting Bo Nix in, in good positions. It does not feel like he's being asked to do a whole hell of a lot. What, what, what do you think about Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator, his job so far as the, as the Ducks coordinator there? Yeah, he's done an excellent job. Uh, I mean, outside of the Georgia game, it's been really, really impressive um, and has looked so night and day from what Oregon's offenses were under Cristobal. Now, of course, Cristobal deserves credit for assembling a really balanced and deep roster uh, that was complemented by a few major transfers that this staff brought in uh, at running back and quarterback, most notably, uh, and receiver, I guess, with Chase Cota. Um, So I think it's a mix of the roster and the play calling have allowed for Bo Nix to be more of a point guard style quarterback is how I would describe it. Um, someone who can just facilitate and make simpler and easier passes rather than having to be kind of the star of the show, like, you know, put on his Superman cape like he did at Auburn when he didn't have very good receivers, he didn't have an offensive line, uh, and he was being chased by two or three guys. And just, you know, when he feels like he has to be forced to make, you know, these sports center top 10 style plays, there are going to be mistakes that come. But when he can play within himself and just look at the options and facilitate, he's been pretty good. Yeah, he's uh, that's that's sort of the the sense that I get from him. I'm also curious what you think about Oregon's running game is genuinely uh, has genuinely been very impressive, and I and part of that is the uh, emergence of Bucky Irving. Um, his the it feels like he's RB one right now. That was after a year of everyone saying. Byron Cardwell, what has should be the RB one, and and it seems like he's kind of fall, fallen off here. What's happened with Byron Cardwell? Is he like in the? Is he like in the doghouse, or is Bucky Irving just like flat out beat him for the for this position? I mean, Bucky Irving's had an awesome season. He's been really really good. But I'm curious, like, what you think has been going on there? Yeah, I think it's a product of too many mouths to feed a bit, uh, and certainly some unhappiness uh, has been, you know poured out on Twitter from Byron Cardwell's family, you know, if you're in the duck sphere about his lack of playing time, there's been an injury apparently, but that's kind of been, uh, you know, a question of whether that's kind of protecting him from the fact that he's not really getting opportunities uh, or whether that injury is the legitimate, you know, only reason why he's not playing as much. Um, But Bucky Irving has stepped up and been great along with Noah Whittington, who, again, another guy who transferred in uh, following the running back coach who came to Oregon. Um, And so they've been a really good one-two punch. Bucky Irving a little more of a power back, a great contact balance, just a guy who gets extra yards. And then Noah Whittington is kind of a good change of pace back. Um, He had a really nice cut uh, and fast run versus Arizona last week, or I guess, you know, before the bye week. Um, and so those two guys have done everything you really need from the running back room. And for Oregon fans, the talk has been, you know, are Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving even better than Cardwell and Dye were during their time at Oregon. That's interesting. Uh, that's fascinating dynamics there uh, with, uh, with the, the running game, but it's working there. 
Anyway, so what, but what about, is there anything you're concerned about, particularly on, for Oregon's offense? Like, is there anything that you're, that you're unconvinced or, or unsold by at this point, you know, seven weeks into the season, six games into Oregon season? It's looked really good so far. If I'm being honest, uh, the big thing is red zone offense that popped up against Wazoo nine points in the first half there. That's the best defense Oregon has faced outside of the Georgia game where again red zone offense was a big issue because Oregon you know as homerish as it sounds uh did actually kind of move the ball well on Georgia on a per play basis in between you know the 20s or the 30s uh and then never got any points from those drives uh so you know for what that for whatever that's worth um but otherwise the big questions this year were can Oregon find a wide receiver one they've done that in Troy Franklin and Coda's emerged as a very reliable wide receiver too um and you know, otherwise turnovers from Bo Nix which you know we already covered but has looked improved that was my conversation with my homie Reed Tingley at mf underscore Reed host of the at quacked out podcast look i've got thoughts on this ucla oregon game too uh there's no way we were going to do a podcast preview in this game without me saying at least something my take on this game is uh it, it should be a scary one for ucla fans and and maybe a good test for uh for oregon this game is on the road and UCLA's first road test. You've heard this from pretty much every single person to a T, right? Uh, this is a road game for UCLA. UCLA has not quite been tested on the road. Uh, their only road game was Colorado and Colorado is very fucking bad. So that is a real consideration is, is UCLA's defense going to carry over to the road? Can their offensive explosiveness carry over onto the road in the toughest or second toughest if you really like utah environment in the pac-12 that is a real concern a real question uh for something about the pac-12 and home field advantages uh it just feels very severe this year the other thing that i think if you're just sort of taking out the home field advantage part of this i think ucla is advantageously matched up uh by that i mean UCLA's strengths, the thing that it does the best, are things that Oregon has either not proven to do well or something they definitively do bad. In particular, UCLA has the best quarterback in the Pac-12 in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Maybe that's a homer take, but I'm just going to put a stop to this whole conversation around Cam Rising being the top quarterback or Caleb Williams being the top quarterback. Feels like a bit of recency bias. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is right now the best quarterback in the Pac-12. He is having the best season. Caleb Williams is young, and he's pretty close, so maybe he'll surpass uh, Caleb, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson in a couple years. But right now, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Oregon has pretty definitively the worst secondary in the Pac-12, which is crazy to say because UCLA secondary has traditionally taken that spot. But Oregon, by a good margin, has not been good defensively. Uh, Per EPA, expected points added, they have a pass EPA of .267. That doesn't mean anything to me. What does mean something to me, number 117 in the country out of like 130. So they are a bottom 15, bottom 20 pass defense in the Pac-12 this year. That's not all from the Georgia game. Uh, That's from Washington State and Cam Ward. Uh, getting a lot of what they wanted against Oregon. That's Jaden Delora kind of having his uh, time against Oregon. That's a lot of teams uh, that are that are kind of getting what they want against Oregon through the air. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is by far the best quarterback that Oregon will have played this year, including whoever it is that quarterbacks for Georgia, right? It's not, he's not supposed to be that good. I don't know. By far, though, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, is the best quarterback Oregon will face. The rush defense is a bit of a different story. Is uh, Oregon is actually thirtieth in um, in EPA run in run defense EPA, and they're pretty good on that in beta rank too. So run defense not bad for Oregon. Uh, it's going to get be a great test to see if UCLA can keep up its elite rushing game against the Ducks. I think UCLA is. I'm kind of looking and going back and forth on stats here. 
Uh, they only have an eight. They're eighty seventh in rush EPA. I'd say that feels a little bit low. Uh, actually, uh, dramatically low compared to some of the other metrics. But uh, you know, it's a good Zach Charbonnet is maybe uh, the best running back in the Pac twelve. I think I might take him over. I'd certainly take him over Travis Dye. I'd certainly take him over. I don't know, Tavion Thomas at this point, who's not having a great year. I'd take him over Bucky Irving for Oregon, who you heard a lot about in this episode. So I think that is going to be a really interesting matchup. And on the other side, it's going to be a matter of whether UCLA's defense is for real. I think Oregon fans would be right to sort of wonder whether UCLA's defense is fraudulent. They are top 30 UCLA's defense in most defensive metrics, which is just very bizarre. Uh, They are actually number one in the Pac-12 in yards per play allowed. They're number one in the Pac-12 in total yards allowed. They're number two in the Pac-12 in rushing yards uh, per carry allowed. It's uh, a very stunningly decent defense. Maybe it's not exactly even top 40 because, again, being number one in the Pac-12 is not that great. But it's a top 50 defense and a top five or top 10 offense paired with the top 50 defenses good enough to get you pretty far and certainly good enough to get you a Pac-12 title. Uh, but is that fraudulent? That's a good question. Uh, uh, Utah's offense cooked UCLA's defense, but Utah has a great offense, uh, so that's a hard comparison to make. And UCLA remarkably held them to to 25 points, uh, that Utah offense, which I think is like easily at least the fourth best offense in the Pac-12, which is uh, crazy to say because there's some really great offenses this year. Uh, so that's going to be a test. Oregon has uh, a really great run game. Bucky Irving is fantastic. Uh, Noah Whittington is fantastic. Bo Nix uh, is is a great running quarterback, like top-tier running quarterback. He leads the league in quarterback rushing yards, is like number 12 in all of the Pac-12 in rushing yards among even running backs. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how UCLA contains him. So, by no means am I saying that UCLA has all the advantages here. I think on a neutral field, if I, if this game were in the Rose Bowl, which might be a neutral site, uh, or if this game were, I don't know, let's say Las Vegas for the Pac-12 title game, I might pick UCLA. But the home field advantages in this conference are really ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't think that these two teams, that there's a whole lot of separation between them. I know I've been kind of going back and forth with Oregon fans on Twitter and talking a lot of shit and all of this other stuff, but it's all fun in games and in, in, in total sort of, uh, and being completely earnest here, uh, there, this game is going to be close. Uh, it's going to be a shootout. There's going to be a lot of points scored, a lot of yards gained. This is going to be a tough game. And it's going to be tough for UCLA to win. If you want my prediction, tell this to you uh in sincerity i think oregon is going to win this game uh i i don't think it'll be a blowout i think that oregon will just have uh the home field advantage to lean back on i think that their offense is almost as good as just just a slight step below ucla's but i think their defense might be better we'll see uh, and overall, Oregon is more talented. Uh, and I always default to when I'm just stuck and I don't know how to make sense of things. I default to talent level personally. And so I think Oregon is a more talented team. So my prediction is that Oregon will walk away with this. But I would not be shocked if UCLA walked away with this. I wouldn't be shocked if UCLA blew them out because offenses can, if you get a high-powered offense and they get rolling, you get one, two, three stops. Uh, that's that's a blowout. Um, that's all that's needed in order to blow a team out. But also, I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon's Oregon blows out UCLA. No, no result would surprise me. I don't think this game uh, is a really, really hard for me to to make a prediction on. Um, but I think Oregon will ultimately be be the one who wins this one out. And if that's the case, then Oregon is purely in the driver's seat in the Pac-12 title race, and maybe even might get its back itself back into the playoff contention. Who knows? Anyway. That is our preview episode talking about this game. We hope you enjoyed having uh, hearing from these really fantastic writers and podcasters. If you enjoyed that, please let us know. Um, and if you didn't or if you got some feedback for us, don't give feedback on our uh, guests. They were fantastic. Blame me. Um, anyway, that's it. I'm Carlos. No Avery, no Greg, no Matt. 
should have just used 50 minutes of this time to talk shit about them and say that they're all horrible, but I love them dearly. They're my favorite people on the planet, probably, or close to it. I have, like, a wife and stuff, I guess. Uh, so I appreciate them and thank them for letting me do this. So anyway, that's it. Follow us on Twitter at No Truck Stops Pod. Follow Avery at Brave Graves. Follow Matt at No Pit Stops. Follow Greg at Banana Morse. Follow me at Equity Bruin. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Thick with smoke. So thick it makes your toe. The crowd bows in. The cup is kicking in my patience. So everything said I'm lonelier than a single sax on a quiet city street.